Well, I got a phone call from David Oliver yesterday to say that Andrew couldn't make it um, this morning. And to be honest, when I volunteered, I fully intended to bring to you the message that I prepared for Bassenfell next week. But um, I believe that God has other plans for us this morning. So um, I sat down yesterday and I think um, we're going to have a little look at what it means to be made in the image of God. What it means to be made in the image of God. So it's quite a long reading this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to, uh, to follow along. It's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to read until Genesis 2, verse 3. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered, the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the dry from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground 
according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves in the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move in the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this morning we're going to have a little think about us being made in the image of God. <clears throat> On the first day of creation, God created light. And we've just read verse 4. After God created light, is that little line, God saw the light, that it was good. The second day of creation, he created the sky. And in verse 9 we read, God saw that it was good. And the third day he created dry land, seas, plants, and trees. And in verse 12, what do we read? God saw that it was good. The fourth day, the sun, moon, stars, and, were, uh, moon and stars were created. And in verse 18, God saw that it was good. And the fifth day, creatures that live in the sea and creatures that fly were created. And in verse 21, God saw that it was good. And the start of the sixth day, animals that live on the land were created. And verse 25, God saw that it was good. And then something changed. Verse 26 states, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And do you know what God said after mankind was created? Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Something changed. Now his creation was complete. The wording changes from good to very good. It's like the biggest understatement in the whole history, isn't it? God calling his creation very good. Verse 16, we've read those famous five words, he made the stars also. Those beautiful stars that you look up at in the sky and you think, wow. Those, those stars get five words in the creation account. And us created in the image of God get called very good. And again, that's an understatement when you think of how intricately you are designed. But God called us very good. We are made in the image of God and we are the pinnacle of God's creation. No other part of God's creation was called very good. 
And no other part of God's creation completed creation except mankind. We are uniquely made in the image of God and are special in His sight. But here's the three things that I want us to think about today. What does being made in the image of God look like? What on earth does it mean? What on earth does it look like to be made in the image of God? That's the first thing we're going to look at. And then we're going to move on and we're going to think, well, what changed at the fall? What changed when sin entered the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden? Something must have changed. Did the image of God in the Garden of Eden look the same as what it does today, or was it different? And lastly, we're going to think, what does it even matter whether we're made in the image of God or not? So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. So firstly, what does being made in the image of God look like? What does it look like to be made in the image of God? The fact that man is in the image of God means that man represents God and is like God. Because we read in verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The meaning is that God plans to make a creature similar to himself. Now the word image and likeness refer to something that is similar but not identical. And from Genesis we can have a little look as to what it means to be made in the image of God. And so firstly, one way in which we are made in the image of God is that we were made to work. That might shock you. In creation, we see a God that works. Again, that might shock you. In fact, the word work is used in Genesis 2 verse 2 that we've just read. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from what? From all his work. Now, to an almighty, all-powerful God, that work is untiring. When you go to work during the week and you flop on the sofa afterwards and, and rest from your work, you're physically exhausted, aren't you? And the work that you've been doing is draining. But it's different here because God is all-powerful, and so his work is untiring, is tiresome. So when we read that God rested from his work, it isn't because he had to. It's because his creation work was finished. And he's sitting back and he's enjoying his creation. And also he's setting the pattern for believers today that Sunday is different. And in Genesis, now remember this is before the fall. We see that Adam is placed in the Garden of Eden to work it. So before the fall, Adam is to work the garden. In Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now those words are specifically used. He's to work the garden and take care of it. Now it's easy when you're at work during the week to think that work is because of the fall. That's why I'm only in the office because of Adam and Eve's sin. But that's not the case. And it's easy to think when you return at the end of the week from work that that's the only reason why you're there. Your, your work might look different to mine. I'm in the office. Your work might be that you're at home looking after the kids or um, some of you are, are enjoying retirement after a lifetime of work. But rather than seeing work as a bad thing, we are told in the Bible that part of reflecting God's image is to work. Aspects of the nature of work are because of the fall. And work in the Garden of Eden would have been different 
But even after the fall, we're called to work. And we're called to glorify God in that work. There's a wee verse, you might not be aware of it, but it's in in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. And this is the strongest indication that we're to work. It tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, that if someone doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat. That's what it says in the Bible. If someone doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat. That's how strongly we are urged to work. Now, there might be reasons why you can't do pet employment, but whatever your work looks like, the normal pattern that God calls us to do is to work because God is a worker. And there's many other examples of what it means to be made in the image of God. I'll just give you two more. We are the only part of God's creation that has a moral nature. You and I have a sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from animals. Sorry. We used to have a, a golden Labrador called Molly. She was absolutely fantastic. She was one of those dogs that was morbidly obese. But um, she was just she was just fantastic. She would in, in blackberry season she would run up and down the lanes and she'd eat the blackberries off the brambles. That's the sort of dog um, that she was. If if dogs had a BMI, this would be off the charts. She was she was massive. But one day mum did a lot of bacon and she left two big beautiful cakes on the kitchen bench and, and she made the mistake of leaving the room. And you can guess what happened. Molly got her paws up, she swiped one cake off the bench. She had the lot, and she, scoffed, she, she stuck her, her paws up on the bench the second time, got that second massive cake off the bench, and she was just about to tuck into that when Mum walked into the room. Did Molly know that she'd done anything wrong? Nope. In fact, she'd have kept eating the second cake if it wasn't for my Mum's reaction. The only reason why she knew she'd done something wrong is that she was told bad girl and she had to go outside with no tea. (laughs) Molly, other than having the fear of punishment, didn't have a clue that she'd done anything wrong. Me, on the other hand, if I went into the kitchen and had a whole cake without asking, I would know exactly that I'd done something wrong. I knew I would know without anyone telling me that that would be wrong. And it's the same with our sin. If you're out in the street and someone has never heard the gospel before and you talk to someone about sin and God's judgment, they'll be quick to realize that they're a sinner and that God's judgment includes them. Why? Why? Because mankind has a moral nature that knows between right and wrong. And even if someone has never heard the gospel before in their lifetime, they know that certain things are wrong because we're created in God's image and we have a moral nature. And finally, just one more example of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we have a spiritual nature. We have a spiritual nature. And that enables us to relate to God as persons. We're able to pray and praise him and to hear him speaking to us. No animal will offer 20 minutes in prayer. No animal, no dog will sit down and ask, for forgiveness for their sin. No animal can avail of the offer of forgiveness. No animal can sin against God. Why? Because we are the only ones that are made in God's image. Part of that image is that we are immortal. 
There will never come a point in time where you will cease to exist. We will always exist because we have a soul that will live on. So what does it look like to be made in God's image? We work, we have a moral nature, we have a spiritual nature. We could mention other things like, like creativity, the ability to form relationships, and all of these things um, reflect the fact that we're made in God's image so that we glorify him and we reflect his goodness and it brings glory to the creator. So what happened in the Garden of Eden? What changed? What does the image of God look like after the fall? We've looked at how mankind is the pinnacle, the absolute best of God's creation. But what does that image look like after sin entered the Garden of Eden? Now, if you look at some of the characters mentioned in Genesis after the fall, you'll see that they too were created in God's image. In Genesis 9, verse 6, if you just have a Bible open, Genesis 9 and 6, this is a really interesting verse. It's uh, God's, God's covenant with Noah. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because in the image of God has God made man. Why would the death penalty apply? Because man is made in God's image. Even after the fall, and even though we're, we're sinful, there's still enough likeness to God remaining that to murder another person is to attack the part of creation that resembles God. The language used is almost like an attack on another human being is an attack on God himself. Man is still created in God's image. And in the New Testament, in James, we're told virtually the same thing. In James 3 and 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now, that verse in James is interesting because it isn't just talking about believers being made in the image of God. It's talking about men generally, not just believers, but unbelievers as well, being created in God's likeness. So we've established that after the fall, mankind is still created in God's image. But God's image in us today has to have been different to what it was in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve living without any sin, no sin. They were perfectly able to talk to God, perfectly able to reflect God's image. In their work, they were able to reflect the way that God worked. In Adam exercising his creativity over naming the animals, that was reflecting the image of God perfectly. But when the fall took place, something changed. But the image of God is still a reality. And here's the key thing. If you forget everything else, remember this. At the fall, God's image is distorted, but it's not lost. At the fall, God's image is distorted. It's different, but it's not lost. Praise God that we're still made in his image. We aren't able to reflect God's holiness like perfectly we were before. Our speech no longer glorifies God in the way that it once perfectly did in the garden. Our relationships are often governed by selfishness rather than love. So what changed to the image of God at the fall? We are still made in God's likeness and we still represent God. But the image of God in us is now distorted. And we are less able to reflect that image perfectly. 
So does anything change when we become Christians? Does anything change to the image of God in us? In fact, we're made in God's image when we become Christians. What happens to the image of God in us when we ask Jesus to forgive us from our sins? Well, that's the wonderful thing. While we were unbelievers, we were still made in God's image. But when we became followers of Christ, something tremendous happened. Because of our redemption in Christ, we can progressively grow more and more into the likeness that God intended. But let's clarify for a second. Mormonism teaches that one day all Mormons will become little gods. That they will actually ascend and become like God himself. That's what Mormonism teaches, that everyone will become God. But that's not what Genesis 1.26 teaches. It says that we are made in his likeness, not exact replicas of God. We're made in his likeness, nor can we ever progress our way to that. And in thinking that we can, we're listening to Satan when he tempts you with the lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when we talk about growing in God, we aren't talking about reaching some sort of perfection, but we're talking about the sanctifying work of Christ in our lives to reflect God's glory more fully. Paul in Colossians 3 verse 10 says that we have a new nature which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As Christians, we begin to think more and more of the thoughts that God himself thinks. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says that we are being changed into the likeness or changed into, the, into his image from one degree of glory to another. We are called as Christians to be conformed to the image of his son. So here's the challenge. We've seen that we're created in God's image. And at the fall, something happened to the image of God in us, but it's still there. And that God has called us, if we're Christians, to be conformed to the image of his son, to become more and more like his son. To become more and more like his son in our obedience to God and his will. To have that new nature in us, to have new desires, a love for spiritual things, not of this world. But is that happening? When you think about what you were like before you were a Christian and what you're like now, how have your priorities changed? As I look over the past week and see how little I've demonstrated that new nature, I'm filled with shame. We're called to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we become more and more like the image of God. And we're told to reflect that image of Christ to other people. Again, as I think this week of how many times I've, I've reflected in bad attitude or, or anything, that image of God so poorly, it fills me with shame. But together, believers, that's the call. Let's be those who are conformed to the image of his Son, those that are transformed in our desires and those reflecting God's character and love. But just our last point what difference does all of this make? What does it matter that we're made in the image of God? 
I'm going to keep this short and concise, but I want to give you seven reasons why us created in the image of God makes a difference. First and foremost, you are important to God. Every person in this room is created in the image of God. We've seen that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. Well, that means that every person sat in this room this morning is the pinnacle of God's creation. No matter what you look like, what your talents are, what your social status is, no matter if you see yourself as important or not, you are important to God and you are special to God. He has made you in his image. Do you know how I know that you're important to him? Well, have a look at the cross and see the Lord Jesus Christ who, who laid down his life so that you could have your sins forgiven. That's how important you are to him. Number two, because you're created in the image of God, you have dignity. You have dignity. Those who believe in evolution tell us we're no different from animals. What does that do to your dignity? If some scientists tell us that we're the same as animals, then is it any wonder people start to believe that and they start to question their self-worth? People are so lost today, and we see it more and more with the rise of, of people unsure of even what gender they are. But that ultimately comes from a whispering voice that says, you're a cosmic accident of no value. But the reality is something different. We have intrinsic dignity because we are created in his image and he made you to know him. The dignity of a human being resides not in what you can do, but in what you are by creation. Human beings do not need to earn the right to be treated with love and correctness. We don't have to have special talents to have dignity. We don't need to do certain jobs to have dignity or hold any status. That is how God has created us. Equals. In his likeness. In his image. Number three. Because we are created in the image of God, we have duties to fulfill. Have a wee look at, if you've still got your Bible open, at Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It begins, God blessed them. And then it goes on to, to, to offer, the, it's called the creation mandate. Be fruitful and increase in number. And that mandate, although that's before the fall, it's reiterated to Noah in, in Genesis 9 verse 1, that creation mandate to be fruitful and, multi and multiply, to subdue the earth, that command is given to Noah as well at the start of Genesis 9. It's a blessing from God that mankind is uniquely placed to rule over God's creation. Now that doesn't mean that mankind is to exploit the earth. But it does mean that we aren't to be enslaved to the earth in terms of us serving the creation. The world tells us mankind are the problem. They tell us that overpopulation is a problem. Humans are eating too much meat. 
That's what they say. I've probably too much of everything. But only one of God's creation was told to subdue the earth. Only mankind was told to subdue creation. I don't know if you've been following the Insulate Britain protests, the people that have been blocking the M25. I'm sure if you were in those traffic jams, you'd treat those protesters with love and grace. <laughs> well, it's clear, that, it's clear that climate change is very much in the forefront of people's minds. I don't know whether you believe in climate change or not, but anyway, Chris Packham, the climate activi activist, he's told the royal family that the royal family should give over thousands of, of, their, of their estate to rewild it. That the royal family should rewild parts of their estate. What Chris Packham envisaged is, is uh, wild boars, lots of native species of flowers and herbs and animals. Now bear with me. Has man damaged wildlife and killed off a lot of ecosystems? Yes. And that is man exploiting the animals and earth, not caring for it and subduing it, which is what God commands. But have a think as to how that language is opposite to what God tells us to do, to rewild. Climate activists and many tell us that the wild is a good thing and that left to itself, the wild will manage itself. Almost as if the wild will bring about something that's, that's fantastic and great. But that's not what happens. If you leave nature to itself unchecked, it will wreak havoc. We've all been walking or driving down those country lanes. And you've thought to yourself, oh, someone needs to trim back them weeds. Left untamed, nature is not self-maintaining. Mankind was created to subdue the earth. Not to exploit it but to subdue it, to keep creation in check by cultivating the ground, by farming, by sustainably using the raw materials that it has to offer, and God has placed us there to do it. So we've got a duty to fulfill, to rule over creation and to subdue it. Number four, the life that God has given is sacred. We've seen in the Old Testament that God places such a high value on life that in the Old Testament, he demanded a life for a life. That's the importance that God places it on it. Have you ever thought for a second, though, of how important an embryo is? Smaller than, smaller than you can imagine. That embryo is just as important because at conception, a life was started. That's what the Bible teaches. Every single human life no matter how small, bears the image of God. When someone comes to you who's expecting a baby and they tell you that on screening that baby has a disability, how do you respond? There's only one way to respond. In love and compassion, explaining that this child is made in God's image and that this life is sacred no matter how small. But what about, it doesn't matter. This life is sacred. And that life is sacred from con conception. And that's completely countercultural. If you were to go to Iceland today, you would see that one, maybe two babies in the whole of Iceland are born each year with Down syndrome. Why? Because they're aborted at birth, before birth. 
The Bible teaches about life starting at conception and all life is precious. And that applies to the embryo right up to the elderly. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. How little, how, how much someone can do doesn't determine their value. All are created in God's image. So we should be looking out for the elderly as well. Praying and helping them too. Number five, our brothers and sisters are made in God's image too. Have you ever sat in church chatting to someone and thought to yourself, wow, I'm going to have to spend eternity with this person. (laughs) Have you ever thought that? Me neither. No. (laughs) As a body of Christ and as believers in Christ, we're all made in God's image. And we deserve love and respect. The knowledge that we are all made in God's image should impact everything we do. As I'm chatting to people and as you're chatting to people after the service. And you're thinking, well this is a brother or sister in Christ that's created in God's image. That should make you want to listen to them. This person standing in front of you is God's image bearer. And I should be listening carefully to what this person has said in order to bear their burdens. If I'm tempted to gossip about someone, that person is God's image bearer too. And that should be enough to stop me. When I have an unforgiven attitude to someone, I'm to treat that person with respect and forgiveness. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They are important to God. They have dignity Their life is sacred, so let's be a body of Christ that keeps that before us. I'm nearly finished, but number six, we are image bearers of God. We are image bearers of God. It's an amazing thought that when the creator God wanted to make something that reflected his image, he created us. I can think of loads of things that would reflect God's image better than me. Angels would reflect God's image. In my mind, angels would reflect God's image better than me. The starry host would reflect God's image better than me. Surely even one of those weird exotic animals that you see on the telly, that, that you know, fills you with wonder. That's bound to reflect the image of God better than me. But no, God chose us. And we are the culmination of of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. And even though sin has marred that likeness, we are to reflect the image of God to those around us. Why? Because we are God's image bearers. And finally, the reason why we are created in the image of God makes a difference is that one day that image will be made perfect again. One day will come when this imperfect reflection of God's image will become perfect. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one day your imperfect reflection of God's glory will be made perfect. One day in heaven, we will perfectly reflect God's image because we will perfectly see him as he is. The New Testament emphasizes that God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is himself the image of God. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. 
In Jesus, we see human likeness to God as it was intended to be. And it should cause us to rejoice that if you're a Christian today, he's conforming us gradually into the image of his son. We can say like 1 John 3 verse 2, when he appears, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. One day, everyone who's a follower of the Lord Jesus, us who are a distorted, imperfect image of God, will be perfectly conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, we will be like him perfectly. So if you're here this morning and you're discouraged because you think you're reflecting the image of God poorly, don't give up. Because one day, we'll be like him. Father, we thank you that you've chosen us as your image bearers. And Lord, as we think about your glorious character, your goodness, Lord, may it dawn on our hearts that we are poor reflections of you. But Lord, may it spur us on to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ in submission to the Father, in obedience, in love. Lord, in everything, May we be encouraged this morning that we're important to you, that we're important in your sight, and Lord, that we've got responsibilities. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that and to fulfill them well. In Jesus' name, amen.